Thank you both so much. That was awesome. So glad you guys are here today. Like I said earlier, it's uh, we've had such interesting weather here recently where it's really warm, then perfectly nice, then today a little bit overcast. I'm kind of hoping maybe we'll get some rain and, and uh, get things a little bit less dry around here. So for the year, we've been talking about mystics, masters, and metaphysicians. And we've been defining what those words mean to us and talking about a variety of different people who fall into that category. The reason that we've been having that discussion is not so much because of what they've done, but to make ourselves aware of what is possible for us, to make ourselves aware that we all have different kinds of experiences. Some of you can already clearly identify mystical experiences that you've had. Maybe you've been out in the woods at some point and heard a voice or known something or in some way felt connected to the life that was out there. Maybe you have had an appearance, a grandmother, a great-grandmother, someone who showed up for you in some way. Or many of us have had the drop-in experience where you're having a conversation with someone and you're not, you just don't feel at all prepared to know what to say and you open your mouth and someone else speaks you because it isn't something that you knew, but it came through you and was exactly the right thing at the right moment. There are a lot of different ways that this can happen. So we talked in January about Charles and Myrtle Fillmore and their experience of connecting with God through the silence, through meditation and prayer. We talked about Rumi in February and explored relationship as the basis for interaction with what Rumi called the beloved, the oneness, the the source. Um, And also about uh, the movement and how movement can take you to a different form of connection. We talked in March about George Washington Carver, who was out in nature and treated every plant as though it was an individual living being and consequently received great wisdom, like hundreds of uses for something as simple as the peanut, most of which were inspired by actual interaction with the plant rather than science. Um, We talked in April about Emma Curtis Hopkins and her experience with healing practices and her unwillingness to look backward, but to always stay looking at what was in front of her and moving forward and how that guided her. And then in May, we took the month off. And in May, we we spoke about something else that's happening here. Uh, If you're new here, you may not know this, but we are about to go into a building share agreement with High Plains Church, Unitarian Universalist community, that will be sharing our building. And, uh, and this is very on mission for us. It's very in line with what we understand we're about here. So we're really excited about it and growing into that. And we spent all of May talking about who we wanted to be. Who do we want to be um, in, the, in the way of of being hospitable and welcome and caring and partnering with other folks. Who do we want to be? So today, what we're going to talk about kind of uh, hits on all of that. It hits a little bit on all of that. Um, And it's, it's very timely. 
Our mystic that we're studying in the month of June is Edgar Cayce. And Edgar Cayce is someone most people in this room will have heard of. He's, he was known as the sleeping prophet and uh, as the father of holistic medicine, which is very interesting because Edgar Cayce never studied medicine. In fact, he had an eighth grade education. He, and when he would go into trance and bring forth medical information, he would speak in terminology that he should not have known, that was familiar to doctors, and he would make diagnosis and also uh, offer, uh, prescribe treatment in areas that he had no education in. Later in life, he was actually found guilty of practicing medicine without a license. Interestingly, much later in life, but he was, he, he, before that happened, he did amazing work for people. So let's go back and look a little bit at his life. One of the things that we found as we looked at mystics is that many of them have had some traumatic things happen in their life that opened them up to looking at life differently at a very young age. So, uh, um, Edgar Casey was born in 1877 and uh, his parents at the time had a daughter. He was the second born child, but his sister died before he was two years old. So those of you that are parents or ha who have siblings, I want you to just think about that for a minute and think about how that might change your life. Because early, and I have four boys raising kids, I can tell you that those first couple of years, the older one kind of takes care of the little one. It becomes their baby, right? And so there's a, there are interesting things that happen. I wish you could see the look on my son's face here in the front. <laughs> I'm going to make you sit in the back. So, <laughs> what? Who took care of me? There's a, there's a closeness that happens when children are very young. So to lose a sibling at that very young age is, is life-changing. And that was before he was two. When he was four years old, he went out with his father to a pond on their farm. I, I'm sorry, not his father, his grandfather. And his grandfather took the horse. He was off the horse. His grandfather took the horse into the pond and something went wrong. And the horse started to react and pitched him off. And when he came off the horse, he got caught in the saddle and caught under the, in the uh, grass that was growing underneath, and he was drowned with his grandfather watching him, or with his grandson watching him. And so uh, that's a pretty traumatic experience for a four-year-old little boy, to not be able to do anything and you know, see what's happening with your grandfather. Soon after that, Edgar started going to the barn, and he would tell his parents that when he went to the barn, he got to see his grandpa that his grandpa was in the barn and he would go and he would stroke his beard. He would stroke his long beard and his grandfather would tell him stories about the Civil War. Stories that, to the parents' knowledge, had not been told to him before, but he could recant because his grandfather had told him. So pretty, some pretty amazing experiences all through his early life. Um, leading up to an injury of his spine that caused him to move completely out of his body and back in when he was about 13. 
And as he got older, and we'll talk when I get back about his marriage and his children and his life going on, but in his early years, in his early 20s, he started teaching. He, um, he went to school at, when he was seven, and he completed an eighth grade education. And that really at that time was for many people considered enough. So he went to work and he dabbled in photography his whole life. And he was very committed to being a Sunday school teacher. When he was seven and went to school, the book he found to study was Bible. And so he read, it said he read the Bible cover to cover every year for 68 years. Yeah. So really, this, this is really important. He considered himself a traditionalist. In fact, someone said to him in his older years, you're a mystic, Edgar. And he said, no, I'm a man of God. Which is, isn't that, I'd, some of you have been along on this series will remember, those were the same words that were used by George Washington Carver. There's nothing special about me. I'm just a man of God. So... He got out of eighth grade, he moved out into the world, he started working, he started teaching Sunday school, and after a while he started losing his voice, having trouble keeping his voice and losing his voice. Well, he was born in 1977, I told you that earlier, or 1877. Uh, Just to kind of give you a time reference, Charles and Myrtle Fillmore got married in 1881. So he was on the planet at the same time that the Fillmore's we're founding the unity movement. And a lot of the things that he taught are very much in line with unity teachings. So when he started losing his voice, he decided he would seek out a hypnotherapist because hypnotism was just kind of hitting its stride in the United States. People were learning about it and learning what could happen with the power of the mind. So he hired a hypnotherapist named Alan Dale to hypnotize him and give him suggestions so that his voice would heal. And he did. But interestingly, when he was put into trance, he began to talk about his past lives and the past lives of his parents and the past lives of his wife and what he knew about life. And at the same time, he told uh, Mr. Hale exa- or Mr. Lane exactly what was going on with his throat that it was a circulation problem and exactly what needed to be done and what kind of suggestions should be given to him to heal his, his voice. And it came out of that trance with his voice fully back. He did lose it several times and had to go through that process several times. But what was discovered was that he had the ability to go into medical trance and that under hypnosis, he would speak in a different language and know things that people didn't know. And he would always start by saying, we have the body. So there's one story that's told about him where he was supposed to be doing a distance reading for a gentleman from Chicago. And he started the trance and said, we don't have the body. The body is in a stagecoach. It got held up. It hasn't gotten here. We can't do it yet. We have to wait. So they waited, and when, they, when the guy got there, he started the trance again, and they were able to confirm that he was aware that the person was not sitting still waiting to be read to find out what was going on. So there's, there's just a lot of affirmation about his work. And it's important to know that because he made some predictions that were 
um, that we have seen come through. He predicted the 1929 stock market crash. He predicted World War II. He, he made some predictions that we know actually happened. And there are still predictions on his books. He did over 14,000 readings looking at the future and exploring the past and why we came and who we are and why we're here. And he, he brought forth stories about reincarnation and about Atlantis and about multidimensionality and things that got introduced here in America into our culture um, as, as a kind of American-born ideas at the same time that the Fillmores and people like them are bringing forth the idea of Christ consciousness and oneness and interconnection. And all of these things are, first of all, are inherently American. And it's important to understand that they came from our culture. The reason that I bring that up is because as we look at mystics and masters and metaphysicians, sometimes we think they come from outside of our world. They come from, from distant lands, and some of them do. But they also come from right here where we are. And when we start making them unlike us, we become unable to see our own mystical abilities, our own metaphysical skills. So it's important to know these were people in our country coming out of our ancestral line who were having amazing experiences and learning things in unique and unusual ways. And many of those things happened in a way that was undeniably confirmable. So there's nothing unique about Edgar Cayce as a human being. Edgar Cayce as a human being was just like any other human being in this room. He had a certain set of experiences that opened him to a different set of ideas. You have a certain set of experiences that open you to different kinds of ideas. And this community is very unique. This community is a community comprised of people from many different walks of life. We have people here who come out of traditional Christianity, people who are Buddhist, who are pagan, who are Sufi, who are, who are Muslim. We have many different kinds of practices that go on here and many different ways of expressing in life, both religiously and politically and otherwise. And so if you walked in this room and thought to yourself, all these people are just like me, let me just get rid of that illusion for you. Everyone in this room is a little different from the next. And yet, we are teaching oneness here. And Edgar Cayce taught that oneness was the foundation for everything that we do. So when we're teaching oneness, we have uh, an, an opportunity to look at what that word means. To really explore that word. What does that mean, I'm one with everything? Does that mean we're all really essentially the same? Well, yes, it does. And does it mean we're all really essentially the same? Not at all. Right? So we, we all have things in common. And we all have differences. And Edgar Cayce believed that our differences were more important than what we have in common that in the oneness we are meant to have diversity. So it's important for us to think about that. 
We had something happen <clears throat> over the last few days that I want to share with you because we're about to go into a shared space with another community. And it's important for us to think about how that looks and, and what we'll do with that. So we have a list for our women's group. And uh, we teach lots of different kinds of classes in our women's group. Anything from a cooking class to a class on Native American spirituality to a hike, anything could happen in there. So our women on that group reached out to the folks at High Plains, to the women, and said, we'd love to have you join our list if, you, if you're interested in what we're up to. And so over the last few weeks, we've had several new people come and join our list and look at what we're doing. And we got into a conversation over the last few days about cultural and spiritual appropriation. Appropriation means that we are taking spiritual ideas that belong to a particular tradition and practicing them kind of out of context, without the cultural background of, of growing up and understanding why things are done the way they are. This is important to our study of Edgar Casey, or maybe Edgar Casey supports our study with this, because cultural appropriation is something we want to talk about and think about when we're teaching oneness. This morning, we opened our nine o'clock service with Native American drumming by very white people, right? And, and I, we had talked about this in the morning service. Uh, Doris and Lee have done tremendous amounts of study on tribal lands with Native American elders and been instructed to take out what they've learned, take it out and play and sing and teach. We have, uh, last night, we had Kirtan here by a gentleman who has gone to India and studied. And while he doesn't claim himself Hindu, he does spend great, a great amount of time teaching what each of the chants means, who the deities are, and what he has been charged with bringing forth in the world. So Charles and Myrtle Fillmore, when they started this tradition, said they cherry-picked the best of everything from every place they were. And that can be considered cultural appropriation. And we want to know whether we think it is or not. We want to think about that and have questions about that and be in open conversation because we invite people of many faiths to come here and practice in many ways. So what do we believe is true? I can't answer that question for you. Those of you that have been with me a long time know that I make it my job not to answer your questions. My job is to give you questions, to invite you to look more deeply at yourself, what you think is right or wrong. I do want you to know how we practice when it comes to bringing people in. That in the place of oneness, we open the doors and we invite people to bring their ideas. What we ask of you as you bring your ideas forth is that you've done your homework. That you've not just picked up an idea and decided that seems good for me. I'll just do that. But that you've actually taken the time to study the culture and the heritage. To talk to people from which that practice emerges. To find out why it is what it is to understand what's being done, and to share when you have trained and not before. 
when you have made yourself ready. That's important. It's really important. Charles and Myrtle Fillmore didn't just throw in Eastern teachings. They studied Rosicrucianism and Theosophy and Buddhism and, and spent time with teachers from those faiths and learned. So when we have another community coming in here to share space with us and we think to ourselves, wow, they're so much like us, and they are. When you look at their primary beliefs, you'll find many things in common. It's also important for us to not assume we know in our oneness who they are, but that we take time to ask questions, to find out where we differ, to learn from one another and grow together. And that diversity, according to Edgar Cayce, is a foundation point in our society. Without it, we have nothing to rub up against. We have no place to learn from one another unless we look not only for what is alike, but for what is different and come to understand that. So when you find something that's different in someone else, you don't have to change what you believe. You still believe what you believe. It is entirely possible, believe this or not, for me to believe something you don't believe. Entirely possible. Probable, likely, I guarantee it. <laughs> right? We all do life slightly different. So as we go forward looking at the miraculous stuff that happened for Edgar Casey and miracles, like he would sleep on a book. He would put it under his head and he would sleep on the book and he would wake up having the book memorized. One of his first jobs was in a mercantile and he got the job because he slept on their catalog and he woke up in the morning and could tell them what products were in the catalog and what pages they were on. This, this takes sleeping on it to an all new level, doesn't it? <laughs> really remarkable things can happen in our lives. Really remarkable things. So in this place of oneness, there is a connection that is important to us. All of who we are, all of what we do is emerging from one source. We emerge from that source with many different names and ideas and expressions, many different faces that we put on God, on source, on love, on life, many different interpretations that we have, and yet we're still coming from one base. And something miraculous is happening in the difference that allows the oneness to be complete. It's really important here as we move forward with our studies that we understand our unique perspective makes a difference in the world. That our one, we may be the only one who is blessed with the ability to carry a particular story or way or idea forward. And if we allow ourselves to chameleon into what everybody else is doing, what everybody else says is the truth, then we may miss expressing something that would change the world for everyone else. So as we study oneness with Edgar Casey, I invite you to see the oneness in diversity as opposed to the idea that we're all coming together to be alike. Let us really cherish the differences amongst us. I have some quotes for you.
These are all from Edgar Cayce. And this first one says, the first lesson for six months should be one, 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 one. Oneness of God. Oneness of man's relation. Oneness of force. Oneness of time. Oneness of purpose. Oneness in every effort. Oneness, oneness. He says this, consider a field of corn. In the grain of corn, there is life. Man plants it in, in soil, works it, and then he reaps the harvest. Not every man selects the same kind of corn. Not every man plows it alike. Not every man sows it alike. Not every man reaps it alike. Yet in each case, it brings forth the very best there is. It is the God or the life within each grain that the man is seeking. It sustains his body and also produces enough seeds to raise more. That is religion. That's the denominations. He said, for the master Jesus, even the Christ in the pattern for every man is in the pattern for every man on earth, whether he be Gentile or Jew, Pantheon or Greek, for all have the pattern, whether they call or whether they do not. And he said, each soul is entering the material ex- that is entering the material experience does so for the purpose of advancement toward the awareness of being fully conscious of his oneness with the creative force. Let me read that to you again. Each soul in entering the material experience does so for the purpose of advancement toward the awareness of being fully conscious in the oneness with creative force. <laughs>